0: Verse 1 through 16. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them.
1: Thanks, Chels. So we're, we're kicking off our, our summer series uh, this morning. I know it's Mother's Day, it's not really summer yet, but we're kicking off our summer series. This is going to carry us through to like the middle of August. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're just going to pull some questions that are in the Bible and we're going to talk about them. Uh, and, and some of them are people that are asking questions of God, some of them are God asking people questions, some of them are people that aren't really sure who to ask, and so they just ask sort of whoever's with them. Uh, and, and so we're going to look at these different questions, we're going to pull them out of Scripture, we're going to kind of examine the answers, but also kind of the questions at, for themselves. Um, because questions are really helpful. Like questions are helpful because you, you don't know something, then you ask a question and hopefully you get an answer. Now, sometimes you get the answer that you want. You get the answer that like answers the actual questions. And sometimes you get an answer that's not the answer that you want, but tells you something that you needed to know anyway, right? So an example of this... Um I used to be an intern at a PR company way, way back in the day. Uh, so I was, just, I was an intern and we had continuing education credits. So we have to go and we have to like, you know, do something or learn something for, for credit so that we can maintain like licensing. I was an intern, I didn't have to license, but I still, you know, bonus points for me. Uh, so there was this, we were supposed to read this book called Good to Great. So Jim Collins, it's actually a pretty good book. It's really helpful. Got a lot of leadership principles if you're into that. Um, so we we're supposed to read Good to Great and then one of the VPs was gonna lead a discussion on like Tuesday... Uh, and we were going to talk about it, right? So we go in, we read the book, you know, we, we talk about it. It's good, it's helpful. You know, he sort of talks about how the company aligns their values with this book and all this stuff. Cool, great. Friday, we're rolling out some changes to the corporate structure. We're, they're moving, they're doing some other things. And so we start to talk about like those changes on Friday. And some of those are exact opposite of what they said, like what the book said, right? So they're like, oh, the book is the thing that we run our company by, except for we're not. Right, so, uh, you know, me, even though I'm the intern, I can't keep my mouth shut, so. Uh, So this right here, this is the opposite of what Jim Collins says in Good to Great. Why are we doing that? And the VP that led the class discussion, so he should have known better, right? He kind of just hems and haw and like waffles his way around the question which was actually helpful, right? Because now I know that even though you say you're following this book, you're not actually following this book. You don't believe this book, right? And also it was helpful for him because he knows this guy, this one's trouble, right? So not long after that, you know, a month and a half later, like, oh, Nate's not working here anymore because it wasn't a good culture fit. So it was a mutual parting, you know, like I knew it wasn't gonna work, they knew it wasn't gonna work, it was good. It was helpful for all of us. But that question, like, even though that wasn't maybe the answer that I was hoping for, it, it revealed a lot, right? And so we're asking questions and we're looking at not just, you know, the answers to the questions, but the why of the question and the motive for the question. And then why do we get the answer that we get to? Uh, so this morning's question that we're, we're talking about is, uh, where are you? And that's in Genesis chapter three. And so if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be covering uh, that, that section. Uh, so Just a little background for Genesis chapter three. It's right at the beginning. So if you don't know where it's at in your Bible, just start at the beginning and flip like four pages and you're probably there. Uh, So Genesis chapter three. And what it is, is the world was created. The world is still uh, perfect. There's no sin in the world. And so Adam and Eve are living in this sinless world and they have a very close relationship with God. So they walk with God, they talk with God, they hang out with God. That's where they're at. And, and they're, that's just the way that their life is. They, they live in this garden, everything that they need is there, and they, they have this very close relationship with God. Um, and so we're going to start in, in verse 1, and we're going to read through, through verse 13. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So when, when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took and ate of its fruit and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then both of their eyes were opened. They knew they were, they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So, you don't learn this necessarily in Genesis, but the serpent here is Satan. We learn that in Revelation. It's actually like opposite end of the Bible. So it's this, this is conversation between uh, Satan and, and Adam and Eve, and that's sort of what leads into the fall of man. So before we get to the question, where are you, which is the one we're going to wrestle with a little bit, we, we have to figure out how they got there. How they got to the place where God was asking them where they are. So we're gonna kind of work through that, and and the the journey to that spot is sort of led by Satan. He's the one that's kind of helping them move there, right? So he starts off his conversation with Eve. Did God actually say? So it's not it's not a genuine question. It's not a. a a question that he actually wants the answer to, but he starts off his conversation with Eve with, did God actually say that this thing is wrong? Right, he's questioning whether or not, you know, what God has said. He's challenging her whether or not she really believes what God has said, but also does she even know what God has said? This is, it's a leading question and it's intentionally leading Adam and Eve away from God, right? Like he's challenging what what God has said. Um, and it's a it's a trap so that Eve starts to think about God negatively. Like, is this really what God said? Because it seems like this fruit is really good. It seems like it's a positive thing. It seems like that would be a good thing. And so if God said no, are we sure that that's really what he would want? Like, if he's supposed to be a good God. Are we sure that he would deny this of you? And so that's really what, what Satan's asking is, would a good, fair, just God deny you this thing that you sure seem to want? It sure seems like a good thing. Is that fair? So he's, he's sort of painting God as, as an abusive manipulator, right? That, that God's denying somehow a good and right thing to, to Adam and Eve. And I think a lot of times this is where our journey away from God starts. Where, where if we've had a relationship with God, we sort of look at what God has said and we're like, but I want that thing. There's this thing that God has said, no, that's wrong, that's not healthy, that, that will damage me, and I want that. And so I'm like, did God really say that? Am I sure that God doesn't want me to have that? Or maybe, you know, that's not really what God said. Like, does God really hate the fact that I'm really proud of myself? Like, does God dislike that? Or is that just something people say? Like, no, I, I think I deserve that. Is lust really bad or can I engage in that a little bit? It's fun, I like that, it's, it's, good, it's okay, right? A little bit of jealousy, a little bit of envy, like, eh, it's probably okay, I enjoy it, it feels good in the moment, it's probably fine. So we, we ask ourselves, like, did God really say that? Does God really have a problem with that? And the second step then kind of doubles down on that, right? The next question is, is if you do this, you'll be more powerful. You will be like God. You will be the one in control. You will be able to make the choices. You will be the one that makes the rules if you disobey. So God said this thing is bad, but Satan's saying that the reason that God said that is bad is because he's denying you the power that he has. He doesn't want you to be as powerful as, as he is. He's, he's holding you out of, of a good thing. He's in doing that intentionally and maliciously because he's jealous and he's selfish and he doesn't love you at all. He only loves himself. He doesn't care about you. And that's what Satan's saying. He's saying that God is evil and manipulative for denying this thing. And again, this is is the path that we walk down when we want to sin. Like we look at this thing and we say, I want that. Probably it's okay. Probably it's if I do this, if I choose this, it'll actually, I'll be in charge. I make my own rules, right? And so then if I'm in charge, I get to do what I want and I can choose this thing and I have, now I'm free, And what we don't realize is that the reason that God said said for us to not do that is because that damages us, right? Like it's actually sin. The reason it's sinful isn't just because it's just sort of like this abstract concept of sin, but it's damaging to God's relationship with us. It's damaging to us. It's hurtful to the people around us. And God said no because it's bad. And so we look at this thing, oh, maybe just a little bit of lust. I'll just have a little bit of that and that'll be fine, and then it grows and it builds and it gets worse and worse and worse and it tears us apart. Just a little bit of jealousy, just a little bit of envy. And then it gets worse and it, gets gro- it grows. It gets to, to a thing that, that destroys our lives. And we don't realize that the reason that God said no is because it's actually a problem. And so we try to find our, our satisfaction, our happiness, in these other things that sort of pop up, a job or, or a car or a, or a spouse or, or whatever it is. We try to find our satisfaction there, and it's, it's okay. It's a good thing, and I love it. And if I just chase this one thing, it'll be okay. And God's like, yeah, but you're walking away from me. You're, I specifically said, don't, don't chase that thing specifically. And so the, the path that we walk down is we question what God said, And then we pretend that if we do what God said not to do, then it'll be okay that we'll be in charge and we can handle it. And that's where we get away from God. That's where we walk away. And so Adam and Eve, you know, they looked at this fruit and they said, we're going to choose this, we're going to do this thing. And what they didn't really think through is the fact that they were walking away from God by doing that, that they were turning their backs on God and rejecting him. And so the next question we have to sort of ask is where were Adam and Eve? Where did they actually end up? Where did they go? They made that choice and they moved in a direction. They didn't physically go anywhere. They physically stayed in the garden. But then all of a sudden God comes and they're afraid. They're running and hiding. They had this perfect, wonderful relationship with God. They would walk together as friends. They would communicate with him one-on-one. And then God shows up and rather than be like, oh, hey, my best friend is here. Let's go hang out again. They ran and they hid. It had previously been a joyful, happy relationship, and now all of a sudden Adam and Eve are slamming the door. They're not, they're not going to be a part of this. They're not participating. This is not a relationship that they want to be a part of. And so God comes to them and asks, where are you? God's not unsure here. This isn't a question of whether or not God's like, oh, they disappeared. I'm not sure. Where did they go? Right? Like, he's God. He knows where they're at. So... Adam and Eve hide is like a little kid playing, playing hide-and-seek. So Luke is three. This is how Luke plays hide-and-seek. Go hide. He sits in the middle of the playground. You're like, we all know where you're at. We all see you. And you, you have to pretend, right? Like, so you're walking around, you're like, where's Luke? He's right there. Where's Luke? I don't know where he went, right? You're sort of creating the illusion of him having hid God's not creating the illusion. He's trying to point out to Adam and Eve that there's an issue, that they're hiding from him. Like us hiding from from God is literally just like that. Like we can't get away from him. We read that in, in the Psalm passage, right? Like wherever we go, whatever we do, God's right there. He sees us, he knows us, he understands us. He was there before he was born. He's been there the whole time. There's no point where we can get away from him. So when God looks at Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? The point of that is not because God's unsure. God wants them to think about where are they? We used to be friends, we used to be close, and uh, we used to walk together, and now you're hiding. Think about why you're hiding. What happened? So God's response as he looks at Adam and Eve isn't one of aggressiveness, it's not one of anger, it's about, hey, you need to think about this right? Like they, they're the ones, they, they broke the law. They, they were the ones that, were, that did the wrong thing. And yet God's response isn't angry. It's not aggressive. It's not, you know, smack him up top the head. Derek Kidner says this. He says, God's first word to a fallen man has all the marks of grace. It's a question since to help him, he must draw rather than drive him out of hiding. So God loves Adam and Eve, and he says, You're hiding, and I want you to realize that you're hiding and come toward me. I don't want to chase you, I don't wanna beat you over the head, I don't wanna run after you. I want you to recognize where you're at and sort of sort of stand up and be like, huh, I'm not where I ought to be. Like God told them, if you eat of this fruit, you're gonna die. And so the right, just response from God could have been strike them dead. He could have done that. That would have been fair. He said, Eat of the tree, you're gonna die. They ate of the tree, he could have just come in, you're done, you're dead. But he didn't. He came to them and asked them a question. Where did you go? Why are you running away? Where where are you? There's an old quote that sort of floats around Christianity. It says, Christians prick the conscience, but accusations harden the heart. Right? Like God's asking a question. Think about this. He doesn't come and say, you did this, you ruined this, you broke this relationship. He's not angry. He's not, you know, thumping on their chest about all the things that they did wrong. He's saying, where are you? Can we have a conversation about why you're running away from me? I love you. I would like to have that relationship. Can you come back? God's goal is to help them to recognize their sin. He's trying to help them realize that they've made a bad decision and they need to stop making that bad decision. He's trying to pull them back into a relationship with himself. He's not yelling at him, he's not not screaming at him, he's saying, I love you, I, I don't want you to run away. So how do an Adam and Eve respond? Like, if the point of the question for God is to help them to realize, like, you went astray, you messed up, why did you do that? Where are you now? If the point of that is for them to understand that, well, how did they react? What was their reaction to God's question? There's, there's kind of three different things that they, that they say as they respond. The first one is that Adam says, I was afraid. Right? Like, he starts off with, he's afraid. So Adam probably didn't understand biological death. He probably didn't understand, you know, what the consequence of his action were, but he did understand that he was separated from God. He did realize that he had been separated from his closest relationship, that his source of life and light and happiness was somehow disconnected from him. Right? Death is just separation. That's all it is. It's a big separation. And so Adam sort of started to realize the emotional and spiritual consequences of his sin as he's separated from God. He's afraid. And we often respond to sin this way. We often hide. We often are afraid when we sin. We separate ourselves. We're afraid of consequences. We're afraid of justice. We're afraid of the people that we've disappointed. His next thing is shame, right? He says, I was naked. Now, he was naked before. It says that, right? Back in chapter two, it says they were both naked. They weren't ashamed. It wasn't an issue. It was just a guy and his wife and God. It's the only three people on the planet, so it's fine. Um, And now all of a sudden, it's the same three people, but he's ashamed. There's shame there. He's like, I'm exposed. I feel like this is wrong. I don't want to be this way. He's feeling that shame. And again. It's because of the sin. He's sin, he recognizes that he's done something wrong, and so he's ashamed of what he's done. He wants to hide his sin. He, he's, he feels that, that breakage. He feels that he's done this wrong thing and offended God. And then the third thing it says is he hid himself, right? So he was afraid, he was ashamed, and so his immediate reaction is, I'm gonna go hide, And he hides physically, right? So he's in the garden, he's hiding in the bushes and then God comes and says, where are you? And he knows he can't run away from God so he kind of comes out, he's kind of awkward. He's still ashamed, he's still afraid but then he tries to hide emotionally because he can't hide physically, right? Like you keep reading and God's like, what happened? And he's like, the woman did it. He's trying to take his guilt and hide it behind her, right? Like I'm guilty, I'm wrong but if I point out her bigger guilt then maybe I get away with this, right? And then the woman responds the same way. She's like, yeah, uh, the serpent, he made me do it. She's gonna hide her guilt behind the serpent. And so everybody's trying to hide their guilt. They're trying to hide physically. They can't do that. They try to hide emotionally. That's their response. Fear, shame, I'm going to hide. Neither Adam or Eve were willing to admit sort of fully where they were and what had happened. They didn't want to deal with the consequences of it. They didn't want to deal with the shame and the fear that they felt. So they'd rather run and hide. And so if you read through the chap- rest of chapter three, and we're not gonna do it, but, but God says, okay, you've done this, this is wrong. There are consequences to the sin that you've done. It's a problem. You've sinned, you've broken the relationship, it's gonna be an issue. And so there's, there's consequences for Adam, there's consequences for Eve, there's consequences for the serpent, and God tells them all, this is what's gonna happen as a result of your sin. It's gonna be bad news, it's not gonna be good for you. But in the middle of that, in the middle of those consequences, God also gives a little bit of hope. The only consequence, like the wages of sin is death, yes. And there's all the consequences of sin. But in the middle of that, God says, I'm not going to just leave you hanging with all this death and negativity and and pain. I'm going to give you a little hope. If we look in verse 15, it says this. So this is God speaking to Satan, to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first glimpse of a promise of Jesus. Like this is thousands and thousands of years before Jesus walked on this face of the earth. This is the first mention we have in the Bible that God is going to come and he's going to punish Satan. And wrapped up in that is not just punishment for Satan, but also redemption of mankind. He's going to break the curse. He's going to change. He's going to remove sin. And so Jesus part of the Godhead, one of the members of the Trinity is is there in the garden. He's present. He sees what's happening and he says, I'm going to fix this. And there comes a point in time where even though he was God, he stepped out of being this God in glory and became God in the flesh. He became the man, Jesus. And he lived on this earth and he was perfect And when he had a run-in with Satan, Satan tempted him a bunch of times, and every time he's like, no, I'm going to focus on God, I'm not going to fall for your lies, I'm not going to slide into that, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And so he was obedient where Adam and Eve couldn't be. And then there came a point where he died, he was killed because he claimed to be God, he was God, but they killed him for that claim, and he died on the cross as a perfect, sinless man in our place because the sin of the human race required death. That's where we were. And Jesus came and died and took that sin and death on himself. He died on the cross, and then he gives us the freedom that came with that. So he gives us his perfect life. He gives us his righteousness. He says, all that sin, I'll take that away from you. I suffered and died for that. You can have my perfection. And so we stand before God now, if we've come to him in faith, we stand before God as his children. The same way that Jesus is the son of God, it's similar, we're the children of God. We have that position before him. We're not ashamed, we're not afraid. We stand there before God as as beloved children. And so this morning, if you've never done that, if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, if you've never said, I've got this sin problem, I've got this shame and fear that I can't fix, Jesus, you gotta fix this for me. He offers that that peace and that relationship with God. The consequence of our sin, not just Adam and Eve, but our sin, is the fact that we're separated from God, and Jesus removes that. Jesus' death on the cross means that I can have a relationship with God. I can walk with God in the way that Adam and Eve did in the garden, just one-on-one as a friend. I can have that relationship because of what Jesus did. So the next question that we have to ask is, as the same way that, that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you to sort of figure out, you know, where they were and to draw them to himself, then we have to ask ourselves, where am I? Because I need to know where I'm at so that I can see where I am in relation to God. How did I get here and, and, and where am I? And Chelsea, read right at the beginning, God knows where you're at, right? 130, Psalm 139, it says, "O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. There's no, nothing that I've done or thought or seen that God doesn't already know and understand, right? And I can't get away from him. In, in verse seven, he says, the psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? There's no place that I can go on this planet in the created world that's not in the presence of God. He's there, he knows, he understands. And he's coming after me. And if, you're, if you don't want a relationship with God, that sounds scary. But if God, if, if God loves you and wants to restore you to a relationship with him, that sounds like the best thing ever. So if you've never had a relationship with God, if you've never you know, come to Jesus in faith and said, I need your, your forgiveness, I need to confess my sin to you and I, I need to make this right, then God's asking you where you are so that he can find you and give you grace to draw you to, to himself. If you've wandered from God, if if you've been, you know, kind of close to him in the past, but you haven't really been paying attention, and you kind of look around and you're like, huh, I'm not actually that close to God anymore. I've kind of wandered away from him. Then he's saying, come on back. Where are you? How did you get there? Come on back. Maybe it was active. (laughs) Maybe you saw where God was and you're like, nope, not doing that. And you turn and you ran in the opposite direction. He's still asking you, where are you? I'm trying to find you. I want a relationship with you because I love you. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. He still is asking you, where are you? You need to come. I, I need you to just say where you're at so I can come find you. Because We can't get to him, right? Like, he's got to come to us. So the questions that, or the way that Adam and Eve, I guess, responded to God's questions can be really helpful for us as we sort of work through, you know, where we're actually at. So, you know, the the first thing was Adam said he was afraid. So we have, am I afraid? Because fear is one of the things that prevents me from telling God this is where I am, from being actually open and honest with God. Right, like if if I've sinned, I know that that sin has a consequence. I don't want to deal with that consequence. Maybe I am afraid. Maybe I'm afraid of, of the consequence of my sin. And yet, like when we read Psalm 139, like does that make you nervous that God knows that? Like he knows that, he sees that, he understands that. If that scares you, then that's an indicator that maybe you're afraid. You're afraid of of the consequence of your sin. Maybe we're afraid of what God will ask us to give up. Right, like we've loved this little sin for so long, I don't want to give that up. Maybe we're afraid of how people will respond. Maybe we're afraid that once we come to God, maybe he'll reject us. Maybe God doesn't love me as much as he says he does. Maybe I'm, I'm not actually good enough. Maybe we're afraid of the future. Maybe there's circumstances that we're afraid because we can't control them. We don't know what that is. It makes me afraid because I, don't, I can't control that. And so I, I don't know if I want to come to God because I'm, I'm not in charge then. And ultimately, all of those fears have to be resolved in the cross. If I'm afraid because I've sinned and I don't wanna deal with the consequences of that sin, listen, There are some things that are, are just the way that they are, but Jesus took the eternal consequences of your sin on the cross. You don't have to suffer for your sin. Jesus already did and he wants to swap you. He wants to give you his righteousness for your sin. And so he already suffered. And so I don't have to be afraid of the consequence of my sin. Jesus already did it. I don't have to be afraid of of what God wants me to do because when I have a relationship with him, he'll walk with me through it. No matter how terrifying it is, no matter how hard it is, he's gonna be there right with me. And I know that because he, he suffered and died to have that relationship with me. He's not gonna give that up easily. If I'm not sure that God really loves me that much, again, look at the cross. He died for me. He died for you. He died because he loved you and wanted a relationship. There's nothing that you're going to come up with that's, that's going to separate you from that, right? Like he says, I died on the cross already knowing that you were going to sin and I love you and I want that relationship with you. So there's no sin that you're going to commit that he's going to be like, well, that was too much. Like he's already, he's already died for it. So anytime that we have fear that starts to well up in our lives, if we're walking with the Lord, we can look back at the cross and be like, that solves my fear. There's nothing that I have to be afraid of if Jesus conquered sin and death for for a relationship with me. The next thing that that Adam said was he was was ashamed, right? He was naked and and so he was ashamed. And shame is another barrier for us to to come into Jesus. We've rebelled, we've dishonored God, we've embarrassed people, we've embarrassed ourselves, and we don't want to admit that. We don't want to say that I actually did that. Are you ashamed of your past? Are you ashamed of what you are doing? Are you ashamed of something that you want to do? Shame is real. We, we feel that shame. We feel that we're going to let people down, that we're going to embarrass people, that, that somehow the things that I've done ruin it for everyone. And a lot of times, shame and pride are sort of like tie, tied up together, right? Like we've got this image that we've constructed of who we are, and we don't want to let that crack. We don't want anyone to know that's not really who we are. Inside, we're, we're afraid, we're a little bit ashamed, and we don't want anybody to know. So we've got this pride that we've sort of built up. I'm, I'm too good for that. I don't need that. I'm better than that. Probably not. And, and again, all of our shame is taken care of at the cross. Right? Because all of my shame is rooted in the, the screw-ups that I've done, the sin that I've committed, the things that I've done that are wrong, that I know are wrong, that I'm embarrassed about. And Jesus said, yeah, I already knew that and I died for that because I loved you. I want that relationship with you. And so when I feel that shame starting to well up because I'm embarrassed and I don't want anyone to know or I don't want to admit that, we have to say, God already fixed that right? I don't have to be ashamed. He loved me in spite of what I did. And he comes to me and he said, I'm going to take that shame away from you. I'm going to make you a child of God. There's no place in the universe that's more honored than a child of God, right? And so he puts us in this place of high honor and says, I love you. I put you there because I care about you so much. Don't be ashamed. Just admit that you need my grace. The last thing that Adam did was he blame shifted, right? Like he he's like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. So I'm going to hide my guilt behind somebody else's guilt. It's their fault. It wasn't me. It was them. I think a lot of times this is where we, we go off the rails, right? We want to blame everybody else for our problems. It was my parents, right? Like they screwed me up. And so this is just the way that I am. It was actually my grandma and grandpa that screwed up my mom and dad that then screwed me up. Like we'll, we'll go a little bit further. Or, or maybe it's, you know, it's this person that I'm in a relationship with and I'm kind of scarred as a result of that and it's not healthy. Or it's my kids. My kids pull me away from God. They distract me. They, I, I can't do it because of my kids. My boss. My boss is angry all the time, so it makes me frustrated so that I sin. And that's why I'm not close with God. Job, school, whatever it is, it's somebody else's fault. It's them and they do these things and then I react in this way and that's, that's my problem. That's why I'm not close with God. And I'm not going to say that you haven't been sinned against, because you have. We live in a planet where everyone's a sinner. We get sinned against. But the reason that you're far away from God, the reason that you're separated from God, isn't somebody else's sin. It's your sin. That's maybe not your favorite thing to hear this morning, but it's true. And so rather than, you know, pointing at somebody else and saying, they're the problem, it's their fault, I need to come before God and say, I committed my sin. I'm the one that did this. No matter what the, the other reasons were, no matter what I think justifies it in my brain, I'm still the one that's a sinner. I need to confess. I need to repent. And so I stand before God, not trying to figure out how I can get somebody else on the hook for something that they did, but I need to say, I- I'm the one that's a sinner. But again, that's resolved in the cross. Right, like we look at Jesus and, and Jesus said, I knew you were gonna do that. I knew that you were gonna sin that way and I died for that because I love you. You don't have to blame shift. The consequences have already been taken on. You can have a relationship with me if you're willing to just stand before me and admit it, right? And so we need to quit blame shifting and just say, God, I'm the one, I'm the sinner. I need to come to you. At the end of all of this, when God asks us, where are you? It's an invitation. He's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He's saying, where are you? So that you recognize that you're far from him because you ran away. Because he loves you and he wants to come find you. Like God's looking for you. That's, that's how he is. Whether you had a relationship with him at one point and you wandered away or you never wanted a relationship with him and ran away as fast as you can, it doesn't matter. He still loves you and he still wants to have that relationship with you. So he's asking you, where are you? pay attention to where you are because I I want that relationship with you because I love you. And Jesus provided the way for us to have that relationship with God through his death on the cross. That's the way that we have that relationship. And so when we come to him in faith and we confess, Lord, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, regardless of whether we've done that before or we've done that a thousand times, we still come to him in faith and say, I'm a sinner, I was wrong, and what does he do? He takes away our shame, he takes away our guilt, and he he gives us the position of honor because he loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the fact that even as far back as when we first fell as a human race, you still loved us enough to start the plan in action to redeem us to yourself. And so now as we stand before you, we can say because of the cross of Christ, because of the blood of Jesus, because of that, I stand as your child. I'm not ashamed, I'm not afraid. I stand before you as a beloved child because of what you have done for me, because of your grace for me. I pray that that would be the thing that we live our lives out of, that, that the fact that you've loved us enough to give your son for us is, is the reason that we live our lives, that that motivates us to live in a way that's generous and forgiving and, and understanding the way that you are. I pray that this would be a moment where we would come to you, that we would recognize where we've gone away, where we've wandered off, and that we would turn and look you on the eye and say, I want you to find me. We pray this in your name.